I've written it up enough, you know, that the three points of Daniel are an eternal kingdom, an eternal righteousness, and eternal life. These phrases specifically show up in chapters 7 and 9 and 12. Uh, and the with these, we see that they refer to the coming kingdom, both the first and second reign, the Jesus Christ and everything. Let me just put it very simply. They refer to Jesus Christ and everything that comes with him, i.e., his eternal kingdom, his eternal righteousness, his eternal life. Okay? And the, the markers we'll get into in chapter 12 is the end of times. And, and yes, the fall of Jerusalem is very clearly foretold. And yes, the fall of Jerusalem is an important event, but it is a subtopic. It is a type and illustration, I think, of the perpetual desolation of the church, which I'll get into later in using Calvin's words, as we get into chapter 12, which provides some meaning to this. And so, just in summary, we went through chapters 1 through 6, and we showed that in chapters 1 through 3 and 1 through 6, all three of these themes occurred. However, there was a predominant emphasis either on the righteousness, like in chapter 1, or the kingdom in chapter 2, or the eternal life in chapter 3. And likewise, in chapter 4, 5, and 6, the emphasis was the eternal kingdom, the eternal righteousness, the eternal life in those chapters, uh, principally, although, the, the, although, as I said before, this is sort of like what you see in Revelation. You see, once a topic is introduced... It continues to come up over and over and over again. It's just the nature of prophecy that you're seeing a recurring series of events that are taking place and a series of illustrations. And in chapters 7 through 12, we see the visions and the prophetic part of Daniel's prophecy. And we've spent a good bit of time in chapter 7 and 9, and we touched on in chapter 11 yes, last week and just barely tipped into chapter 12. But I would just step back a minute and, 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 and get the outline in our head here. Uh, I'm not going to put it on the board because I think we've done it enough. But chapter 7 is really dealing with an eternal... Um, get, make sure I've got it straight here. If I'm going to do it on the, on the memory, let's do it right here. Chapter 7 is dealing with... Principally, the topic that's introduced in chapter 7 is an everlasting kingdom or, or an everlasting glory. For example, in chapter seven fourteen, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. So here you have a kingdom which is held forth, and as we'll see later, there is another kingdom in conflict with it, okay, that manifests itself in various forms uh, through the, the, the Babylonians and then the Medes and the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans and then, the, in my mind, the Antichrist. I mean, it's just a continual series 
of struggles with the people of God versus the world. And, and, but, but the context of Daniel is one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and brought him near before him. And again, that sounds kind of like the ascension. won't argue that. Okay, and he was given dominion. That really refers to the dominion that was given to him at the ascension of Jesus Christ. I think that's, you know, yeah, it may have secondary meanings or whatever else it may be, but it certainly certainly has that has that principal meaning. Okay, and we looked last week, and just to just to review the bidding here, we looked in Revelation one seven, and in Revelation one seven. Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth shall mourn him, call it him, and even so. Okay, now, don't get, make me understand something, okay? The, the, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ undoubtedly occurred before the writing of Revelation, okay? If this were talking about the ascension of Jesus Christ, it, it, that makes sense. This is talking about some, some additional coming other than his ascension. That's already taken place. So this word becoming, coming on the clouds doesn't always and equivocally mean the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, the ascension. I think it, it means the coming of Jesus Christ again, okay? His first coming, his second coming. Okay, his ascension, all of these things refer to his glory, but this specifically in Revelation it is, cannot refer to the same coming in the clouds as we see here in, in this sense, other, other than interpreted in the very broadest sense, coming in the clouds, maybe Daniel speaking in the broader sense as Revelation is speaking of. But, but again, I, I won't argue that when we, when we see this establishment of the dominion, it began, it came into being, it's, it's like the fig tree, okay? It's an it's a illustration of the summer coming. It, it is something that came into being at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Okay. And that kingdom is an eternal kingdom. And, 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 and likewise, with that kingdom, there is a struggle. It talks about, you know, in the fourth battle, the fourth beast, there's, you know, there are various horns, and there's one that, that has eyes and speaks. And, and in chapter verse 25, it says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times and laws, and the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and a half time and time. And again, I don't see that as specifically referring to the Roman occupation of the Jews. I see that as referring uh, particularly to the ongoing persecution that we see today. Uh, and again, he reemphasizes in verse 27. Uh, well, I mean, let me start by verse 20. And the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion and consume and destroy forever, okay? And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole earth shall be given to the people and the saints of the Most High. The kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. So here you have this again sort of echoes the coming of the gospel, the, the eternal kingdom that comes with this. So we have, we have the eternal kingdom being presented as a figure and illustration of the first coming of Jesus Christ, with ramifications that continue on in my mind, and I'll get into, and, and the question is, how do we interpret, do we, do we get this persecution specifically to some point in time? I think when you look at Daniel as a whole, and I'll argue today, that it refers to a continual perpetual dis, dis, desolation of the people of God. There are two kingdoms here. There's a kingdom of Satan, and there's a kingdom of Christ, and they're in conflict with one another, and they're inextricably linked. Okay, and they manifest themselves principally in the world, but also in the church. Okay, so that's chapter 
7. In chapter 9, we saw, I'll come back to chapter 8 in a minute, but chapter 9, we saw Daniel's prayer, which was the most important part, the beginning of it. And then we saw, yeah, it was a very much, he's praying for your righteousness, okay? Uh, you know, oh, Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But to our shame and fa shame of face, it is of this day the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all in the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness they have committed. So here is the, the it's confession of the sin of Israel, their lack of unrighteousness. It talks about the Lord keeping his covenant people. And then in chapter uh, 27, uh, chapter 9, near the end, we had these verses from 24 through 27. And we, it's clear, I think most, most Reformed commentators agree, the 70 weeks, I talked about that last week, being a time which the, the last week, the middle of the last week, clearly refers to, or, or most Reformed commentaries believe it refers to the, to the coming death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a short half week after that, whether that refers to three years or three and a half years after the death of Christ or whether that refers to an indefinite period, there's a lot of... Uh, commentary and differences of opinion there. It certainly could legitimately refer to the establishment, the beginning of the of the Gentile ministry. Certainly, is a sense in which that could mean that. Uh, but it, uh, it could also mean a, uh, an, a continued period. And what was what was Cyrus sent to? He was sent to do five things: to finish transgression, to make an end of sin to make a relative for iniquity, to bring a basket, everlasting righteousness. So here we have this everlasting righteousness, okay, and to seal up vision and privacy and to anoint the most holy. And again, those all refer to and were completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. There's no reform commentary that I'm aware of that disagrees with that, okay, uh, that this is, uh, 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 refers to Jesus Christ. Some, some will argue that this, Somehow specifically to the Jews, but to me I see that language as referring to me and to you and to all Christians in all times. This is the work of Jesus Christ. It was complete, perpetual, extensive, uh, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And then we can therefore understand that from the going forth of this command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. And again, he breaks this down. And the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. So that's takes that's kind of happened by the time Jerusalem, by the time Jesus' ministry is there. It says this is his context of his coming. Chapter verse twenty-four. And after sixty-two weeks, the Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So here you have a prince, not a king, but a prince of a people to come, and the destruction of the sanctuary in the city which was fulfilled most likely by Titus and the Roman Empire, no doubt about that. So it, this specifically foretells of uh, after the Messiah is cut off that a prince will come and they will destroy the city and the sanctuary. I'm not going to argue that. Probably most likely about the fall of Jerusalem. And the end of it shall be like a flood until the end of the war. Again, most likely refers to the dis antecedent discussion above about the the fall of Jerusalem will be like a flood. But it could have other meanings. And desolations are determined. Okay, now what, what does that mean, desolation determined? And then we got verse 27, which we divided in two parts. The first part, and he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the midst of that week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Most Reformed commentaries see that as referring to Jesus Christ, and that covenant with many as referring to us, you and me, Gentiles, Jews, 
there's not two covenants. There's one covenant. There's not a covenant he made with the Jews. Uh, there, there's one eternal covenant of grace. Uh, that's the principal story taught in Scripture. That's what I believe this is. Some, however, believe that that many refers to this was a covenant with the Jews. Okay, that if you repent, you know, I, I, I'm not going to get it. I have no idea. Okay, I'm not going to try. Get somebody that believes that to explain it to you. I don't get how that can, but Ken Gentry does. Okay. And, and then the last part is variously interpreted. We looked at how King James interprets it and how the ESV interprets it. And on the wing of the am, uh, abominations, wing is singular, abominations is plural, shall be one who makes desolation, makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the... Now, the King James and the New King James have the desolate, which would which would seem to refer to those who are being persecuted. And, and that could be, but I don't know that that's the best translation. The ESV has the desolator. To me, I kind of favor that. I think it fits better with the sense of there being two parties involved here. And as we see this phrase, many, we'll see that again and again, the many, that Jesus did something for the many, the many, Satan did something for the many. There, there are two different camps that are being talked of. Yes, there are specific types of this, uh, in, in the destruction of the temple. Yes, there's a specific type of this in, in the destruction and, and desecration of the temple by Ante, uh, Antithicus, Antichias. But uh, these are, to me, not the main point here. That This is a struggle between, and this is a summary statement. The work of Jesus Christ, the work of the desolator, okay? And the desolator shall have the wrath poured out for him. I see Genesis uh, uh, being fulfilled here, the promise to the seed and the, and the you know, relative to uh, the bruising of the heel and, and, the, and the destruction of the head of, of the Satan, I see this as a, as a fulfillment of that promise. I see this as a, par a true parallel. Again, others don't, some see this again. Those, they, some see this second part is specifically referring to, it could, and some, some I'm not going to say it doesn't, in some sense refer to it, but to me I think it's a broader interpretation as a whole. Now, we can come back and talk, but let me just lay out the context of chapter 9. Chapter 9 is sandwiched between chapter 8 and chapter 10. Chapter 8 and chapter 10 are most commentaries, Young, Boyce, uh, uh, Calvin, most Reformed commentaries see chapter 8 and chapter 9 about the desecration of the temple and the struggle and persecution of the Jews during the time of Antiochus, okay, which was during a Greek era before Jesus came. So you have that as a type. So in a way, you have this sandwich with chapter 9 being the pinnacle, and you have an illustration or a type being held forth of this persecution in Antiochus. I believe, in my opinion, that's exactly what the temple, the temple is a type of that perpetual desolate destruction and desolation which has continued to take place. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's what it's all about. I, I see it as a type. We can argue that and we'll come back and discuss that. But I see it as, a, as, as, as referring to perpetual desecration and both the destruction of the temple is a type and a just deserved punishment of the Jews, but is also a type of the destruction which is coming there. And those types have different meanings. They're not exactly parallel. So I'm not trying to put them in the same parallel camp. But neither is the perpetual desolation the same thing. They're, they're, different, they're different things, but they do share a commonality in that there is a, there is a impious, impious behavior, there is pollution of worship, uh, there is destruction of the people of God, 
uh, and and there is ultimately the, uh, the end or the, the 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 end of a prince or, or someone who rules who is ultimately destroyed. These things take place here, and, and so uh, I think they also take place in the perpetual series of desolations. So it's okay. Now that chapter ten, in my mind, and and based on based on Calvin and on uh, uh, based on all three of them, in chapter eleven. The first part of the chapter is about Antiochus up through chapter up through verse 35, and then verses 36 to the end of chapter uh, 12 is about a, the battle of the north and the south. Those same figures are used earlier, but uh, they really have no, you know, uh, uh, Boyce says there's no referring, they've never been fulfilled in history. Calvin, however, sees those things referring to the Roman era, okay? and the ultimate destruction of the Roman era at its collapse. Okay, not a king, not, not a person, that when he says the king of the north, he's talking about the Roman empire itself in the broadest sense, okay? And he sees uh, the destruction of the temple as part of that, okay? No, no doubt about it. That's part of the overall story there, but uh, it's not the whole, okay? But this is the Roman era, and the destruction of the Roman era took place, you know, the Roman Empire, at least part of it was destroyed, but not completely. How, you know, what happened to the Eastern Empire? It ultimately got destroyed too, okay? So it depends on when you draw timelines and when you draw destruction, but he saw this era as referring to the Romans. However, Boyce and Young, who are more uh, conventional, uh, 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 more modern conventional commentators, how's that? Maybe that's a phrase I get to. Somebody could argue Ken Gentry is a modern one. I don't believe so. Anyway, they argue that this is about the Antichrist. And they see this parallel here. And, and, and let me give you some arguments here. We have, we have, when you go to my notes here, I'll pick up in my notes from where, where I left off here. Got 9.123. We've already talked about all that. We can't go through that again. And we talked about, let me just do one thing here, that this phrase, abomination of desolation, in, in both in, in the New Testament, in Matthew and Mark, when they refer to the abomination of desolation, the Greek phrase, the abomination of the desolation in Greek, okay? Now, the Hebrew is somewhat more ambiguous, no doubt about it, but it is clear, that. but there are differences. All three phrases are, don't have the same syntax and there are differences in, in, their, in their phraseology and meaning. The one under... under, under uh, uh, the chapter eight is more uh, that has the words more related to sacrificial abomination in that sort of sense and context. The one in chapter nine uh, is the abominations. It's plural. It's not an abomination, but it's abominations. The wing of the abominations is plural. Okay, so so there is in my mind that speaks of a, a perpetual series of abominations. Okay, of which the temple is one. Uh, the last statement, and it shows up again in chapter 11, abomination desolation. It doesn't, have, it doesn't have the article in chapter 11. It has abomination desolation, but not abomination of the desolation. Chapter 12 has the abomination of the desolation, the exact same Greek phrase as we see in, in Daniel, see in Matthew and Mark. So, so anyway, I think to me, I think the, so when we talk about what was Jesus referring to, I think he's referring to chapter 12 specifically, but the whole thing, the abomination of death spoken of in Daniel as a whole, but the last connect, the last hand is in chapter 12. And we get into what chapter 12 is very important. What does chapter 12 mean? Okay, that's very important in the meaning and understanding of this. Let's digress a little bit in chapters 10 through, uh, 
again, I'm going to stick specifically with chapters 11, 36 through 45. You know, Calvin sees that king coming, not as a sole person, but as a kingdom, as Daniel elsewhere explains. In other words, the king and kingdom are used interchangeably. He allows that seeing this kingdom as an antichrist has some color, but he thinks it's best fit with the Romans. He does not limit it to the Caesars, but to the Romans in perpetual series. Okay, whatever perpetual series means. He, gets, he uses that same phrase when he talks about chapter 12 again. But in any event, yeah, that, that has some meaning here. Jung sees it applying to the Antichrist and referring to uh, Zion, Egypt, and Moab as symbolic. That these, aren't, these aren't talking about specific cities. It's not talking about a specific king of the north. These are metaphorical or symbolic phrases that describe a great battle between two sides. Boyce makes the following arguments referring to the Antichrist. In contrast to the first part of chapter, which was fulfilled in great detail, Calvin explains in 40 pages how this applies to Antiochus, okay, the first part of chapter chapter uh, 11. So, 40. Pardon me? You said 40 pages. 40 pages. Only 40. Huh? Only 40, okay, all right. But, but that's a lot for Calvin because he covers a lot in every page. But anyway, that, that refers to, those 40 pages refer to the, uh, uh, the, according to Calvin and according to Boyce and according to uh, Young, the first part of chapter 12 was about the time of Antiochus and th that pollution of the temple. And, and Calvin shows how all the figures are, are illustrated. However, he doesn't, you know, he, he, he's a much more general and vague when he gets into the last part of chapter, chapter 11. Second point Boyce makes. These must be the same as chapter 12, since 12.1 says at that time. Well, okay, that, that, that's a somewhat partial argument, one or, but it has weight. These events correlate with Ezra 38 and Revelation 16 and 19. These are about the beast, about the raising, etc., and, and we, can, we don't have time to explore that in what we have here, but I think there's a lot of truth there, okay, that these, that these speak about this, this eternal perpetual struggle that's taking place. Uh, add another argument. The man of sin in Thessalonians seems to line up here as well as Antichrist. Second one, and no one sitteth, uh, sitteth, God sitteth in the temple of God. In other words, he, he's like one that says sitteth in the temple of God. And so when we see this, this king is described here, the king will do according, I'm reading in verse 36, shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every God, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He sh shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women. Okay, I can't get desire of women. Okay, I don't quite get that one fully. Okay, I don't know how that could refer to the Romans. I thought they were pretty... Had a lot of kids, okay, pretty big empire, okay. Nor, nor does it mean the desire of women in, in the subjective or the objective sense. Could mean we could get into that, okay. Nor regard any god, for he shall exalt himself above all of them. Now, certainly the Roman emperors did that. I have no doubt that Calvin has a lot of weight here. But also, so does it somehow Sedung and all the other persecutors and tyrants. And, 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 and in many cases, how about the Pope of Rome? Okay, the Catholic Church to comply there as well. For in this place he shall honor a God of fortress and a God which his fathers did not know, which precious stones and God would not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and with pleasant things. 
And he, shall, he will act against a strong fortress with a foreign god, which shall acknowledge and advance in its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many. Okay, here's this many. And I, I bring that up again because we have this phrase, many showing up. It shows up again in verse, uh, in chapter 11, verse 44. But the news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. Remember in chapter, in chapter 9, we have this covenant with many? Well, we have this same Antichrist figure, a covenant with many. Okay, there are many. There's this illustration. There's many on one side and many on the other. There's a parallelism of two different conflicts that are taking place here. Um, the, the original position of the... Uh, uh, the, uh, the, and again, this looks, sounds a whole lot like the person described in Thessalonians. And some argue that applies to the Romans, uh, but I would argue that's the Antichrist. Uh, this was a position of the original, the Pope. They see the Pope as Antichrist. Well, I think there's some, some color in seeing the Pope as Antichrist, but I don't think that's the whole picture. I think the Pope is just an illustration, just as Jerusalem and all the others. I see Antichrist. I see the ultimate root defector, the destroyer, being Satan himself. Okay, these are merely figures along the way. Note that he also has no desire. I've already talked about that. More, note more parallels. Uh, uh, one of them is the desolator set up abominations, meets his end by God's wrath, and he rules uh, over many, okay? And the great fury to destroy and annihilate many. I've already gotten into that many that's referred to here. And, and the parallel between chapter 9, there's a, there's a parallel between the desolator getting his just end and the desolator having many, and also as uh, uh, a parallel to the second part of chapter 927. So this many, what is many is used again and again here. Uh, and it's Second Thessalonians 22 eight, and, and then shall be then then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of the coming. Well, to me I see that as Antichrist. I see that as Satan himself, okay? Prefigured in many illustrations. All right. So that's that's my spin on it. All right. Chapter twelve. So so we have chapter eleven which arguably could be referring to the Romans in perpetual series, according to Calvin, or it could refer to the Antichrist, according to Young and according to uh, uh, Boyce. Chapter 12, let's, let's where we are today, and we've finally gotten to where we're supposed to be, so let's go to chapter 12 and look at that. And, and, and at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of his people. And there shall be a time of troubles such as never was since there was a nation. Okay. That same language is used in Matthew. Okay. So Jesus uses almost a very similar words. What's he talking about? Even to the time, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. Okay. Everyone who is found written in the book, written in the book. Okay, now who are, what's that referring to? Let me give you, I'll just give you, okay, there's no, there's no disagreement here between Calvin and Boyce and, uh, and um, uh, Young on this matter. Let me read you Calvin's own words here. Remember, I said that you're not, not, mis, not mis, misleading anybody here or misinterpreting anything. Chapter 12. This is the angel's prediction as to the future state of the church after the manifestation of Christ. Uh, 
Okay, it talks about the different different person. He refers, he sees the person, he sees Michael himself as Christ. Okay, what is it? And, and, and Christ confirms the same assertion that we just now saw in the 10th chapter of John. He says, all the elect were given to him by his father and none of them should perish. Okay. And then he talks about the, the, the destruction of the temple through the end of the world was at hand. In other words, there's an illustration that this they connected with the glory and triumph. The prophet that has been instructed by the angel how God should direct the course of the church Still he should manifest to them his begotten son. Still the severity of distress awaiteth all the pious, not just the Jews, but all the pious. Calvin does not limit this to the Jewish nation. He, he expresses this to the elect, to all the pious. And um, then he, there is a full season of affliction shall arise, such as any nation is seen. Okay? And then again, Calvin commentary. Though through all ages, then God subjected his church to many evils and disasters. Okay, and you know, and, and at that time they shall, they shall, the, at that time the people shall be preserved. We, sh we are conquerors amidst fire and sword, amidst all the deaths we're sure to life. In other words, he's referring, he's seeing this in the, in the figurative of the struggle of Christians at all day and all time. Found written, all people, all people who are found written in the book. Okay, he, he, he's, let me read this. But such as God esteemed to be real Israelites according to gracious election alone. Okay, here he distinguishes between the carnal and spiritual children of God. To Calvin, he's talking about the elect here. This is about the final judgment. This is about the elect. This is the eternal life, which we'll get into later. And he talks about many false prophets deceiving the people of Israel. Again, he's speaking about perpetual desolation, destruction here. Uh, you know, the preaching of the gospel, the final days, okay. The angel seems to mark a transition from the commencement of the preaching of the gospel to the fi final day of resurrection without sufficient occasion for it. Okay. Two subjects fit properly connecting salvation of the church with the final resurrection and with the second coming of Christ. So, the, so he's talking about the whole period of time from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the second coming. Okay, this is what is being spoken of here. The angel announces the salvation of all the elect. That's the Calvin. Not just, not just young, not just boys, but Calvin. All the elect. Chapter 12. Although Calvin sees, uh, rightfully sees many of these references to Jerusalem, in chapter 12, the reference here is to all the elect. It's a perpetual series of destructions that are poured out upon the, the false church. <clears throat> It goes on. This, therefore, is the reason why the angel so clearly expresses that eternal life awaits the elect and eternal grace and condemnation will be a lot of the ungodly. Okay. There's just no other way to read Calvin other than he's talk, that this chapter is talking about the elect. Okay, so there's some sense then in which these words which are used in Matthew refer, yes, they have some particular meaning. They could legitimately have some meaning to the people of the destruction of Jerusalem. But they also refer to the elect and to that struggle which we have in an ongoing and continual manner. And so I'll leave it at that. So, so okay, so, so we have Michael, the dead awakened to life. Okay, we have the, the images of the dead being awakened. Life coming, that refers to the elect. Many shall be purified and refined and understand, but the wicked will not from the time of the aberration of this shall be 12. Let me, let, me read the, let me read it first and I'll come back to interpret it. Okay. Okay, so Calvin, Boyce, Young, 
have no dispute that these events are about the period of time between the coming of Christ, the death, resurrection, ascension, and the final coming. And many of those who sleep in the dust and earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and to shum and to everlasting contempt. Is there any way you could possibly read that? I mean, you know, you could take a spiritualized reading that this is referring to the resurrection of the, of, I guess, the Jews at the time. I mean, what, where did they go? I, I don't see how you can interpret that any other way other than about the resurrection, the coming at the second coming of Christ. Neither does Calvin, neither does Young, neither does Boyce. No, no, no discussion, no entertaining a second idea. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever. Here you have this, this, this struggle between the many. You have the many with Christ who are, do, who are bringing many to righteousness through Him, through Christ, through their work, through the witness. Okay, that's what's being spoken of, the perpetual witness of the church. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of end. Many shall run to and fro, and the knowledge shall increase. Now that time of the end, is that the time of the Jewish nation, or is that the time of the end? Well, to me, you know, he's talking about the end time. I see that as a time of the end here. Some people argue insistently that every time the Old Testament uses this term, the end, it's talking about, uh, it's talking about the fall of Jerusalem. I don't get it, okay? I, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't. Uh, this is talking about the, the struggle between the too many, the many that are with Christ and the many who are against them, of which, they're, the, of which the Jews are a very strong illustration. No doubt about it. Let me ask you this. I had my, and when John went to the University of South Carolina, his, one of his courses in, in comparative religion, the professor stated very boldly that nowhere in the Old Testament is resurrection of the, of the dead spoke tall. Okay, said that as if that were a statement of fact. Okay, doesn't this speak of it here? Okay, help me out here. Isn't this a promise of the resurrection of the die? That the, the promise to the elect. I, I see this as a great comfort. To, to limit this to some, you know, I, I see this as, anyway, I, I can't see it any other way, and Calvin and Joyce are with me, okay? So I'm not alone here. But then, okay, then he said, Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on the river bank and the other on, the, on, the, on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen and was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? So these are wonders. These are not just things that happen. These are wonders, okay? These are wonders, okay? Everything God does is wonders. Then he heard the man clothed in linen and was about to, uh, uh, who was uh, above the water of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left to heaven and swore to him who lives forever that it shall be for a time and a half time and a time. And when the power of the holy people shall be completely shattered, all these shall be finished. Okay, so now is that referring to the destruction of Jerusalem? Is that referring to, is that his explanation? I don't think so. I think he's referring to the second coming here. Okay, this is of Christ. The power, you know, the holy people shall be completely shattered. Who are the holy people? Well, the Jews who were killed in Jerusalem, the holy people? I don't think so. I think this is talking about a perpetual series of desolations. I think this is talking about this continued ongoing struggle we see today. 
Although I, I heard, I did not understand, and I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? So here he's asking a question. Now notice he, he's asking, he asked, remember there's a couple of questions here, you know. How long shall it be before these wonders be? And then another, there's a second question. Now again, in, in, in Matthew and Mark, there, there, are, there are two questions, so a little differently phrased, but very similar. Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Again, what is the end? Is that the fall of Jerusalem or the end of the world? I'm sorry, I take it as the end of the world. The second coming, the resurrection of the dead. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. That, again, that's that Greek phrase that's used, exact Greek phrase that's used in Matthew and Mark. So that is probably referring to the destruction of the temple in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a minimal sense, but I think it refers to the overall perpetual desolation in the broader sense. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. That's adding an extra month and a half to the previous time. Calvin sees those as, as consecutive, speaking of the same period of time. Uh, I'm not sure I follow Jung's translation there of that. Uh, but in any way, the beginning of that seems to be the fulfillment of the destruction of Jerusalem. I don't doubt that. I mean, I think that's certainly the, the beginning of that time. But the time period that's coming after that is what, what he's really asking, he's really telling us to be blessed. That's what we're referring to here. He's not referring, and I, Jung thinks this was the destruction of the first Antiochus. Uh, Calvin sees this as the fall of Jerusalem, that abomination that is the actual destruction that took place there. But it's not the main topic. Okay, the main topic is the coming of Jesus Christ. With him comes eternal righteousness, eternal life, eternal kingdom. Yes, and the destruction of Jerusalem. That's the beginning of a period of time. Calvin and Boyce and Young all see these not as specific years, but in definite periods. So you're not to take those years. You could add them up and say 2600 AD, then the world will take place when you add up those together. Uh, I don't think so. Calvin doesn't think so. Okay, so uh, I, I think they're, they're, they're an indefinite period. But you, go your way till the end. What is the end? For you shall rest and will arise in your inheritance at the end of the, of the days. Now, what is Daniel going to rise to his inheritance? Okay, is it at the fall of Jerusalem? I don't think so. Is it the second coming of Christ? I think so. So to me, I see this chapter which Jesus links back to and is talking about and is commentating on. And many of the same parallels. There were two questions. There was, there was a, a series of events. Yes, the fall of Jerusalem is included. Yes, the second coming is included. To me, I'm sorry, brother and sister, I see that's what Matthew 24 is about. It's about all of that. Okay, It's not about some part of all of it. To, to limit it to one part of it, I think is wrong. Very wrong. And so I, I take it that way. So... Again, that's the gist of it. Let me just run over some main points here. That Daniel is about the eternal righteousness, the kingdom, and eternal life that is only found in Jesus Christ by way of unity and faith in him. The fall of Jerusalem is a forecasted event within the broader context, not the main idea. Daniel 12 is the principal link to the abomination of dissolution referred to in Matthew and in Luke. And in that chapter, it specifically is an event that begins an indefinite period of time that will end at the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
It is an event in a series of things that is taking place which are the subject of the questions that are being asked in Daniel. To me, I see the questions in, in Matthew and Mark just merely reflections of the same thing, just in different, uh, more, maybe a more localized context because the temple was right there before them. Here are two kings referred to by the many. The elect in chapter 9, 27, and chapter 12, that's the many. We see that word phrase many referred to again here in chapter 12 as in 9, 27. And we also see the many as those that are opposed to and persecute Christ. But the desolator will be ultimately the, will be destroyed. That Christ will ultimately triumph, not, on, not only on, on unfaithful Jews, but on the Satan himself. And the former, many were written in the book of life and will be raised to eternal life at the last trumpet. And many will be spoken of as belonging to the Antichrist and, or, and, and, and the destroyer, who will be destroyed. So I see a strong parallel here between chapter 9, 27 and, and chapter 12, where you have this idea of many referring to two different parties, one being the desolator who brings the destruction of many who will ultimately be destroyed, one being those that are in the kingdom of God, the elect. So whenever we interpret the New Testament on the context of Daniel, which is what Jesus is referring to, we need to look at all of Daniel, more specifically chapter 12, and specifically that particular context, the abomination of the desolation, which is the fall of Jerusalem. Okay, But my point is, that fall is in the context of a greater story. And to rip it out of that story, I don't think is appropriate. Uh, we've got a little bit of time. Let me just read Matthew here and, and, and um, just show you how those same words show up. Matthew 24. And Jesus went out to the departed in the temple. And the disciples came up to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said to them, do, do you not see all these things? All these things. Okay. Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he said, and he sat on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us what you mean these things to be. And, and second question, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? There are two questions, two questions, end of the age. Okay. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one be deceived you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear the wars and rumors of war, and see, see that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Okay, so there's some things that have to come to pass, but the end is not yet. There's a, there's a division and a distinction in, in the phraseology there. For the nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And these are the beginnings of the sorrow. Not the end of the sorrow, but the beginning. The illustration is of the beginning of these things. Okay. Then they will deliver you up to the tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations, and by, but for my name's sake. And then many will be a, 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 and many will be offended, and will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because the lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. So here is the endurance to the end shall be saved. Okay, is he speaking about a? Temporal salvation? That's not what Daniel's talking about in chapter 12. 
of, of being saved from destruction in Jerusalem. I, I think he's talking about just what Daniel's talking about. And this, and look at these persecutions. Didn't Daniel talk about persecutions here in the context of the continual sort of sense? And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the worlds as a witness to the nations, and then the end will come. Now, some see that as the gospel being preached to the Judea and all nations in a small sense. Okay, speaking of the localized world that was known at the time, could be. I see this as a continual promise of the gospel being preached. I see both subjects. I see Jesus talking about the broader context of the overall, who is this Jesus Christ? What's he coming to do? What's the final thing? The destruction of Jesus is part of it, but, but he's interchanging back and forth. The time sequence, the phraseology is not chronological. Okay? Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of in Daniel the prophet standing at the holy place, okay, whoever reads this, let him understand I don't deny this is a specific referred to chapter 12, speaking of the abomination, which probably is the destruction of Jerusalem because the temple itself was an abomination at that time. Okay? Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the housetops go, not go down to take anything out of the house. And let him who is in the field go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and in those who are nursing the babies in the dread. And pray that, that your fight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until the time, uh, until the time no nor shall ever be. And again, was there not a great tribulation spoken of in Daniel? Is this different? Is, is, this the, great, is the great tribulation over? Are we not in the great tribulation? I think we're in a great tribulation. I think this is part of a greater whole. Yes, there was a great tribulation then. There's a great tribulation now. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, and there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false shall, shall rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even to the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if, you, if I say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe. For in the lightning comes from the east and the, and, the, and the flashing to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The coming of the Son of Man. Okay? The coming of the Son of Man. Okay. Is that the ascension? Did everybody see that? You know, I think that's the end of the world. Okay? I think that's the second coming. For wherever, wherever carcass is, the eagles shall be gathered together. Well, yes, the Romans had eagles, but those eagles had two wings. There was only one wing mentioned in the abomination of the desolation in chapter 9, 27. And, and the word was abominations. It's plural in chapter 9. So it, it, I take it as, as a perpetual series. Chapter 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, okay, the sun will be darkened and the moon will give light and the stars will fall from the heavens and the powers of heaven will be shaken and the sign of, of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven. And... Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, heaven with power and great glory. Now, did the Jews see Jesus Christ coming in the clouds of great glory? I don't think so. Some of his disciples did. That event happened, but the Jews didn't see that. Not aware of, I'm not aware of anywhere in Scripture it says they saw that. What's that speaking of? 
and he will send his angels with a great sound and trumpets. Same, similar language in Thessalonians. So what this is talking about is what Thessalonians is talking about. And they will gather together his elect. Isn't that what Daniel's talking about? Gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Talking about the whole world. He's gathered together his elect. The exact same thing Daniel's talking about. You, I, I just cannot see a wooden application of this passage to the fall of Jerusalem. I see this as talking about both topics. Now we're getting to the heart of the matter. The big dispute, which we'll have to pick up next week. Now learn this parable from the fig trees when it's branched. Now again, this is an illustration of the fig tree. This is the specific context of this, this very troublesome passage. Is speaking of the fig tree. When its branches has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near. So these things, when you see these things, know that it is near. Okay, so again, there's a context. The words, these things, it is near. Lord, surely I say to you, this generation will no, no means pass away till all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words by no means pass away. What does that mean? Some take that as an unequivocal statement that was fulfilled upon the Jewish people because that's this generation shall not pass away. I offer in counter-argument several points. One of them is the specific context here is an illustration of the fig tree, which is the summer coming, which is an illustration of the beginning. So the context is the beginning of this ministry. That ministry, Jesus Christ's ministry, did not begin at the fall of Jerusalem, but began at his death and resurrection. So that, that coming of Jesus Christ referred to here, to me, is the death and resurrection in, in the immediate sense, but also it could refer to the second coming as well. Okay, This generation will not pass away. Well, to all these things, these things include them seeing, these things, them seeing Jesus Christ up in the heavens. I would argue that that is not fulfilled by the, by, the, by the Jewish Jews in that generation. They did not see Jesus in heaven. At least I'm not aware of it. I don't have any place that's recorded. A lot of these things were not fulfilled, and that's specifically one of them, to the Jews themselves. So, so it, it can't possibly refer to, in my mind, all of these things spoken of. It's specific referring is these things, the parable of the fig tree, the beginning of these things, Okay. Uh, these words, these things are mentioned many times, okay? So, uh, you know, it, and, and so maybe Jesus is summarizing these things and these things and these things and these things. Is, is the, all of those these things refer to the same thing? Well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. Second argument is when you go to Luke 21, Luke has similar wording, but he says when not these things, but he says when all things pass away. When all things. Now, all things... Is that the whole work? Is that the end of time? I think so. He doesn't use the word these. Okay, in Luke 21, he says all things. There's no all these things that he's talking about here. He, he, to me, Luke is referring more to more in line with uh, you know an end of time gospel. Third argument. Luke adds, and we, could, we don't have time. We'll go pick it up next week. Luke adds the um, statement that the coming of the Gentiles and the trampling down of the temple. Could that have been the Roman Empire for a very short period? I don't think so. To me, I think that's the continual state they're in today, the era of the Gentiles. That's what our confession talks about. The coming of, you know, the, coming of the Gentiles, the last times. That's what we pray for in, our, in the coming of Jesus Christ's kingdom. Uh, we're, that, that, that's the era we're in now. So again, I can't possibly 
picking all of this, I've got a couple of minutes for questions here or dispute, which I'm sure there will be some, but we'll pick this up next week and try to follow it through. But the reason I went starting in Daniel was to me, to understand Matthew, you have to understand Daniel. And you have to interpret it in sense. Any discussion, we'll pick, we've got time next week to pick it up. I have a, a question. I was looking through the notes here and listening. Um, have you, in the commentaries that you were reading, do they make any sort of connecting tissue between Daniel 12, 4, the, the prohibition that he has to seal up these, this book, and then connecting that with Revelation 22, 10, where John is told not to seal up the book because the time... Uh, he is in the time. I suggest you to read that. Calvin's commentary, chapter 12, 4. Okay. The way I read Daniel, you know, again, I'm looking for some specific you know, go-to phrases here, but the bottom line of this prophecy is he's in the, you know, we've already explained the, end, the time of the end as a previous period fixed by God and settled by his own counsel. The words refer to the tracing out and running to and fro, but not necessarily in a bad sense, while it See, I can't, I can't read all this at the time I've got here. But I think the gist of this is I think if you read Calvin on chapter uh, 12 as a whole, and I don't see anything in his reading on chapter verse 4 that would, 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 would counter that, he's referring unequivocally to the elect and the end of time in chapter, chapter 12. Yeah, I just heard it argued that, um, that the angel that is, you know, Angel Lord telling John not to seal it up in Revelation is sort of paralleling or showing us that we are in that time that Daniel was coming to, where he was told to seal it. Daniel's told to seal it because yep. the time hasn't arrived. John's told to not seal it because the time is arrived, right. has come. Okay. So that we are in that yep. period okay. of Daniel's sort of prophecy. So. Mm -hmm. Daniel's to seal up his book because the time hasn't arrived. John isn't to seal up his book because the time has arrived. So both, I guess, Daniel's book is open and John's book is open. <coughs> the book's referring to their prophecies. Like, okay. Because some try to link it to Daniel's book to the book that the Lamb is holding okay. in Revelation 5 and right. he's opening it up, but that doesn't... Well, let me just ask you this. When was, when was prophecy sealed? When was prophecy sealed? Yeah. When the, I mean, well, prophecy in what way? Well, okay, we're yeah. talking about a generic topic. I would argue, yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, so if we're talking about foretelling, so prophecy pointing to the future, then it was technically sealed, completed at the end of the New Testament canon. Yes, which was when? When it was finished. When the last author wrote the last right, word. Right, right. Right. Okay, whatever that was. But could, could have been I, before, could have been after the fall yeah, of Jerusalem. I don't see the, the word prophecy being used in both ceilings, so it isn't necessarily the only the sense of foretelling, but right. foretelling, right? Okay, yeah. So there's a sense in which Daniel's prophecy is sealed because the time for it to be understood is not yet. Yeah. Right? And John's prophecy is not sealed because we are in the time of it to be understood. So we're not to read all of Revelation as some future occurring event that's going to happen. There's parts of it that will happen, but there's parts of Revelation that are also happening now. And okay. my question is, is that's what is, if what is what Daniel's talking about also happening now, or is that the same times? 
I don't. Well, look, let's take pick it up next week. Okay. I, I think that's an important question. I, I think I think clearly this time. I think chapter twelve is referring to the time being between Christ's coming and the second coming. Okay. I think that's what's referred to as the time. All right. Now, is that? I think that would be. I think Calvin, Young, Boyce would agree with that. Maybe there's some other commentators that would. I'm sure. I got to find Gentry's book on chapter twelve. See what they say about this. I don't know how. Yeah, they I mean, that would be the time that, that John's talking. Right. Yeah. The time between Christ's first and second coming right, right. is what the Book of Revelation is talking. About. Right. No. Well. It, yes. 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 I see it that way. All right. But but I, I let's pick it up next week. I, there, there could be. I'm sure there's a point there. But you know, Calvin's commentary is available. Everybody read this. I'm not trying to pull the wool on anybody's eyes. I'm just trying to say that. When we read these passages, we we can't we, we have to look, you know, Daniel's part of the story, Revelation's part of the story. We can't read Matthew in isolation of Daniel. We can't read Revelation in isolation without. We have to read it all together. I'm just saying the way my mind fits it together, okay, I see it pretty much as chapter twelve being that period of time coming out there. So we can pick it up next week. This is a subject for debate. I've left one whole week for you know, just get ready for it. And let's talk about it. We'll try to deal with it next week. Anything else before we go? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, this is a difficult topic. We thank you for your word. Lord, we, we, may not, we may disagree on the answer, but we all agree on one thing. The answer is here in your word. Lord, help us understand it. Help us to be true to it. Help us to come to grips with it. Help us to see what it means. Help us to apply it. Help us to see what it means to us in our lives. Lord, we thank you for all of these things, particularly your word, because, Lord, when the, when the saints in Revelation, the overcame by your word, by the blood of the Lamb, okay, and, and, and loving their lives unto death, okay, Lord, they, came, they, they overcame by these things. Lord, let us do likewise. In Jesus' name, amen.